0: All right, well, good morning again. Ask you to open your Bibles up to Ephesians chapter 2. If you're using the Bible in the pew, it'll be page 976. Or probably what most people are doing, right? Which is okay, as long as it stays on the Bible, not Facebook. Well, as we continue our series in Ephesians, just a quick reminder of where we've been. Remember in Ephesians chapter 1, this is not going to come up on the screen, but in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul began by declaring the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ, how God, before eternity, chose us in love. He predestined and adopted us to be his children in God. Uh, He prays that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened. They would know the purpose of God. In chapter 2... He reminds us, from our perspective, how to look at salvation. That we were dead in our sins and our trespasses, but how God made us alive in Christ Jesus. And how God also has a purpose, that we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand. Today, in chapter 2, beginning in verse 11, He's going to talk about the transforming unity of the purpose of God of uniting us in Christ Jesus. We'll see three things today at one time, but now, and through Him. I know I just threw off the uh, slide guy, but that's okay. I would ask you stand with me as again we pray and we read from God's holy word. Father, we, we ask that you make the book alive to us. That we would see our Savior. And we would see our hope. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that at that time, you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, And he came and he preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the, corner, the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place by God, for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Our first point to go by at one time. In the book of Ecclesiastes, we're reminded of the truth that there is absolutely nothing new under the sun. There is nothing new under the sun. We live today... I think you would agree, in a world that is absolutely divided, whether it's politically, sexually, you name it, we are divided, at least in America. We are a divided. The first century, of which Paul wrote this, is absolutely no different. They lived in a divided world. There really is nothing new under the sun. Ian Hamilton states it this way. The Greeks considered the rest of the known world barbarians, and the Romans, like the Greeks, thought themselves superior to every other culture. The Jews looked on the Gentiles as dogs. Racism, social snobbery, political elitism, and religious superiority deeply divided Paul's world. Paul wrote to them in the midst of this deeply divided world. And Paul had reminded them already that though they live in a divided world, the purpose of God in Christ Jesus is to unite, to unite all things in Christ Jesus. God is all about reconciling, not dividing. Right? Remember what he said in Ephesians 1.10, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him that is in Jesus Christ Unite all things, things in heaven and things on earth. It's in light of this promise that Paul tells them to remember. Remember means to call to mind. Call to mind. What does he tell them to call to mind? Look at what he says in verse 11. Therefore remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands. I hope we all know what circumcision is. I don't need to explain it. I hope. But circumcision, the cutting of the foreskin on, the, on, the, on a male, was the cornerstone of the covenant for the Jews. It was the sign. It was literally what separated them from the rest of the world. In Genesis 17 11, God gave this covenant, this covenant sign to Abraham. In Genesis 17, 11, it says, you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. This was so ingrained within the Jewish people that when they did come to faith, when they became Christians, they said, we have to add this to the Christian faith. We can't actually be a Christian without being circumcised. It was, that's pretty much the point of the book of Galatians, in which Paul says, listen, this is not going to help you. It'll be a, if you are circumcised, Christ will be of no benefit to you. It's not by works. It's not by anything we do. Paul reminds them that God had a very different purpose for circumcision, different than what the Jews says. Paul says in our text, it was an act done by the hands. God meant it to be symbolic of the heart being circumcised. The greater purpose was that your heart would be circumcised. Later on, as He leads them through the desert, God says in Deuteronomy 10.16, that is the children of Israel, circumcise therefore the foreskins of your heart and be no longer stubborn. Regardless of how the Jews may have viewed circumstance, Circumcision. The fact is they were God's covenant people. They were God's chosen people. They were the ones who Paul says in Rome, Romans was given the law and the prophets. They were the ones of who Christ came through. Circumcision was the covenant sign of these promises. And Paul says to the to remember to these Ephesian Gentile Christians that they were one time, at one time separated from Christ because they were separated from the covenant and the promises given to the Jewish people. Look at what he says in verse 12. Remember that, at, that you at that time were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. It was, as R. Kent Hughes says, a fivefold. Alienation. Listen to what it says. They were Christless. They were separated from Christ. They had no access to Christ. They were stateless. They were excluded from citizenship in Israel, which, is, of course, is a picture of the church today. They were friendless, strangers to the covenant of the promise. They had no hope. They were hopeless. And they were godless. Does that sound like America today? It certainly does to me. I mean, what a dismal situation they were in. You know, it's good to remind ourselves from time to time that that is exactly the our situation. If you and I are in Christ Jesus today, if you are truly in Christ Jesus today, you were at one time Christless, stateless, friendless, hopeless, godless. We were under the fivefold alienation and still would be, if Christ did not intervene. If Christ did not intervene, if Christ has not come into flesh, that is where we would still be. And that's what Paul reminds them that happened. He uses these, these two-word phrases that we shouldn't overlook. But now, but now, you were Christless, stateless, friendless, hopeless, all godless. You were all of those things. Look at what it says in verse 13. But now, but now, something's changed. The situation has changed. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were, once were, I love that, once were. There's a change of state. Once were, far off, have been brought near. You once were far off, but now you have been brought near By the blood of Christ. Three times in one sentence, he reminds them of their former condition. What binds all of that together is the phrase, in Christ Jesus. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. In Christ Jesus. Jesus, I would submit to you, as one of the most important phrases in all of Scripture. In Christ Jesus. It's the key word of Ephesians. Remember when we started Ephesians, we did an overview. It's 86 times the word in is found in the book of Ephesians. What Paul is saying here, that it is only in or through Christ Jesus, that one is no longer far off. No longer... Christless, stateless, friendless, hopeless, or godless. They have been brought near, the word says, they have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 13 again, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Why the blood of Christ? Why is it so important that it's the blood of Christ? What does that phrase even mean? Are you guys just ghouls? What's wrong with you? Our friend Ian Hamilton helps us here. He says in his commentary, The blood of Christ is biblical shorthand for Christ's penal, substitutionary, atoning sacrifice on Calvary's cross. I love that. The blood of Christ, the phrase, is biblical shorthand for Christ's penal substitutionary atoning sacrifice on the cross. It is only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ that one is brought near to God, that one can have peace with God. That's why we teach sola Christus, Christ alone, Christ alone alone. Uh, uh, Gabe this morning in Sunday school was talking about salvation, assurance of, and how how often we want to add things to it and, and make it work. No, it is the work of Christ alone on the cross, shedding his blood on behalf of his adopted predestined children. Are you God's child today? Have you been washed in the blood? Have your stains been made white by the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood of Christ is what gives us peace. Look at what it says in verse 14. For He Himself, that is Jesus, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. It is the blood of Christ alone that makes a person, Jew or Gentile, no matter who you are in the world, no matter what culture you come from, this is an absolute truth that is absolutely true for all people, all places, at all times. There is only one way and only one way in which you access heaven. It is through the blood of Jesus Christ. It is only one way in which you can have peace with God. It is through the blood of Of Jesus Christ, as Paul wrote to the church in Colossians, he says this: "And through him, that is Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether in er, on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross." What kind of peace does Paul have in mind here? Is it his peace with God through Christ? Absolutely, that is certainly part of it. Or is he addressing them, reminding them that they have peace with God through Jesus to address an issue within the Ephesian church? Is there an issue of which there is not peace within the church, which he says you need to be reminded that you have peace with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, you need to have peace within your church. I think that's exactly what Paul is doing. Look at what it says in verse 14. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility. It is clear, at least to me, that Paul, by reminding the Gentile and the Jewish believers about their past, and because of the misunderstanding of the of the, of the covenants and the promises and the symbol of circumcision that he's actually addressing racism that has infected the church. They were at odds with each other. There was hostility between them. There was hostility even at the very founding of, our, of the church. You remember in Acts where they were taking care, the church was growing, and they had believers from all different backgrounds were coming. And there arose a problem. Well, the Greeks over here, they were being overlooked in favor of the Jews. There was a problem. Why did that, how that should not be? And out of that issue, the apostles created the office of deacon, of to serve. And go look for yourself in the book of Acts. Peter. Peter, remember Peter? He goes and he visits Paul, and and he reverts back to this. He goes back to separating himself because it was better to be a Jew. Remember, the Jews came and visited in Galatia, and Peter was there. and And Paul says that Peter separated himself and started hanging out with the Jews and ignoring the Gentiles. And Paul says, I confronted him to his face. Interesting enough, because Peter was the first apostle to the Gentiles, actually. Remember, the sheet was down, and and God says, Don't call unclean what I call clean. This is something that's ingrained in human nature. God has given us His Holy Spirit, God has shed His blood on the cross. He is our peace, and He is also our means to peace. And Paul uses the example of the tabernacle, the temple, actually. There was an actual wall within the temple complex called the wall of separation, literally. There was the court of the Gentiles, and then there was a wall. It was about, about this high. But they were Gentiles. If you are not a Jew, you are not allowed to go past. Matter of fact, there were signs that said, if you go past, you will be put to death. They were separated. They were alienated. It was to keep them out from the presence of God. The Jews hated Gentiles and the Gentiles hated the Jews. Paul says that within the church, this kind of attitude should not be. There should be no division within the church. Because we were all at one time under the fivefold alienation. And God, who chose us before the foundation of the world, made us at peace with Himself through His blood, of which Christ shed for us. And this same peace is to be extended to those around us, particularly within the household of God. We should not be divided economically, racially, politically. There should be no division amongst us. Are we all mindless drones and think the same? No, we're all individuals. But we all understand that we have one master, Jesus Christ. We have one law to obey, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're all one in Christ, yet individually members. We're not to be like the world, which is so divided. This kind of unity, this kind of peace should be evident within the church. And So when you hear of people suing their church, it does not help. It does not show that Christ has united people. What does Satan seek to do? Divide. Right? At one time, we were following the course of the world, Paul says. What's the world do? The world divides. There is a great emphasis in the United States, and in the world, I guess, for diversity, equity, and inclusion. And it all sounds great. We're going we're gonna to make things equal. We're going to unite people. No, the exact opposite is happening. The exact opposite is happening. People are being left out. People are being excluded. I believe it's a world system that is for the sole purpose of dividing people. You know who the great master of diversity and equity and inclusion is? It's God. And I saw before the throne from every tribe, tongue, and nation worshiping. Everybody's included. Before the cross, equity, everybody's the same. Everybody's under the same judgment except for Christ stepping in, right? We're all the same before the cross. Inclusion, who can come? Whoever wants to. Whosoever will, the Bible says, can come. We should not be separated by race, money, anything. Nothing should separate us. As believers, we should not be at odds with one another. There should not be tension within the church of God. Rivalries and strife. God says no, because God has divided. God has broken down the divided wall of hostility. And how has he done it? He tells us in verses 15 and 16. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Hold on, what does that mean? That the law, no matter, matters? He got rid of the law? You don't have to obey anything? No, that's not what he's saying. He's telling us clearly that God, in Christ Jesus, Jesus said what? I have come to fulfill the law. The law is fulfilled in Christ Jesus. I can't keep the law. You can't keep the law. Christ kept the law for you and I. So the law is no more that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two so making peace and might reconcile us both to god in one body through the through the cross thereby killing hostility again i think ian hamilton is very helpful to us He says this is one of the great blessings of the gospel that speaks powerfully into our racially, socially, and economically divided world. In Christ, all the divisions that mark and mar our world have been abolished. The church of Jesus Christ is the one society under heaven where once inveterate enemies are now brothers and sisters united to one another in their union with Christ. If our churches are not manifesting the countercultural oneness and harmony, we are debasing the gospel and making Christ's cross of no effect. Boy, that is true. The church is the conduit which Jesus uses to preach the good news. Verse 17 says that and he, when Jesus came, he came and preached peace to you who are far off, the Gentiles, and peace to those who are near, the Jews, because they had the covenant and the promises and the law. Everything about Jesus is peace. Remember when Jesus' birth was announced, what did the angels say? Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Jesus is called what in Isaiah? The Prince of Peace. Jesus, as He was leaving this earth, tells His disciples that He is going to leave them peace. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace. Separating His peace from every other peace there can be. Because peace just doesn't mean the cessation of hostilities. It's a relationship. It's a relationship. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The peace that unites man to God and man to man, that's what Jesus gives us. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are called to be a peacemaker. Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called sons of God. The Bible tells us to seek peace and to pursue it. Psalm 34 14, turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Do we pursue peace? You know, Paul already stated that we're in Christ Jesus, we're God's workmanship. For good works which God has already prepared. Remember, that means that we will be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. To walk as Jesus walked. God has given us His Holy Spirit. And we have resurrection power to exercise the fruit of the Spirit. Remember the fruits of the Spirit. Galatians 5, beginning in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, or being like God, is to have love, joy, peace, patience. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Well, there is in our society. Guess what? Do what's right. You're called a bigot. You're called a racist. You're called this. The day is coming when which, which what, is, what, what, what is evil will be called good, and what is good will be called evil. We live in that time. When it says against, against such things, there's no law, in other words, God has no problem with it. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The people, who, the people of God who make up the local church, we must be people of peace. We must live in peace with God and with each other. The scriptures warn us, do not let any bitter root grow up and defile many. Discontent, lack of peace, it spreads like gangrene. How do we become discontent? Well, I don't like what he said. I don't like the way that person looked at me. I don't like that. Right? And then we begin to gossip. The greatest destroyer of peace is gossip. We begin to talk. Gossip is is talking about a person, uh, talking to a person who has nothing to do with the situation or the problem. Right? Or, 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 Or the solution. God hates, God hates, God is very clear in his word, I hate, right? If God hates something, we should hate it also. God hates when people see a snapshot of something. They see it on the internet, they see it in front of their eyes, whatever it would be, and they make an assumption about it, and they go off and they have an opinion, and they begin to share that with others. Isn't that what Twitter's all about? People giving their opinion, shut up, nobody cares. We should not, God, pardon me for being, I, this is, I'm so, just so passionate about this. I don't want to come across as, as saying this is our problem in our church because I don't believe it is. But it's just so, we live in a society where everybody has something to say. You know what? The fact is, what God says, we should want our words to be few. Because God says, for every word you speak and I speak, I'm going to ask you about them. You ready to stand before God for every word you spoke? Man, I, I, I'm. thanks be to God for Jesus Christ. that those words of the past are buried in Christ Jesus and His blood. But what if they're not? What if you don't stand under the blood of Christ? You've got to give an account for every word. All these news anchors, Fox, CNN, and everyone in between. We need to, we have been given the mind of Christ. So we need to think God's thoughts after Himself. The person who, of peace, seeks to bring healing and restoration through Jesus in any given cir- circumstance. The church should be a place of peace. So, that when those who do not know Christ see us and how we interact with one another, how we live out in the world, and they see that there's a peace that that for them it would pass understanding is evident amongst us, they would say, What is it you have? What is it that makes you stick out? Why are you different? The world is longing for peace. They've been crying out for peace, right? Imagine. Right? As John Lennon said. United Nations has been established for the purpose of making peace. Has the experiment worked? No, it's been an utter failure. Why? Because man is seeking peace outside of Jesus Christ. You will never have peace outside of Jesus Christ. It is absolutely impossible. The Bible tells us that. But we're not yet fully sanctified, are we? That happens when we die. And so then our, in our natural state, we will have strife with one another. God knows it. And in Matthew 18, God gives us the formula for addressing strife. God cares so much about us being at peace and being unified that He made a special promise in the process of reconciliation. This is a verse that is often... Often misused. Matthew 18, 20. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Oh, absolutely. God is among you if you're by yourself because God is everywhere. God is omnipresent. Think about the very special promise that God is making right here that if parties are at odd with one another and they come, come together for the purpose of uniting and reconciling, God says, I'm going to make sure that happens because I'm a God who reconciles people. Peace, however, is not dependent on one person. It does take two to have peace. What are you to do if the other person doesn't want peace? Some of you are longing for peace in your homes, at your job, in your families, in your relationships. There's no peace. I'm trying everything I can do, but there's just no peace. What do you do? Well, as Romans twelve eighteen says, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Do your part to be a peacemaker. Let the rest be up to God. Is that hard? Absolutely right. Do you have resurrection power to help you? Absolutely you do. In the church, within the church, the body. And the church is not a building. It's the body. It's you and I. In the church, local church, where we gather to worship the living God, if somebody does not want to be at peace, if somebody wants to be a gossip, if somebody wants to be a troublemaker, the Bible tells us very clearly to kick that person out of the church. For the purpose that the church would have peace and that the troublemaker would come to repentance. That's the purpose of it. That the person who who is living in hostility, would come to repentance in Christ Jesus and be restored back to the fellowship. It is a process that is not enjoyable. I can tell you that. We've had to tell people, you're no longer welcome here because you refuse. There's no joy in that. None whatsoever. It's absolutely heartbreaking. But it's a process that is beneficial for the church and hopefully for the person being disciplined. God's purpose in bringing peace was to unite those who were near and those who were far off together in Christ Jesus. And if we're in Christ Jesus, and we've been brought near by the blood of Christ, whether we were once far off, whether we were near, but if we're in Christ Jesus, through the blood of Christ, you and I have been given access to the Father. We have special access. Special access. Look at what it says in our last point, through Him. For through Him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. For through him, that is through Jesus, we both have access in one Spirit, capital S, to the Father. And if you ever wondered where is the Trinity in Scripture, it's right here. We have Jesus, we have the Spirit, and we have the Father. Every work of God is Trinitarian in nature. We have access to the Father. We don't only just have access to the Father. And I don't mean to put that down because there's what's greater than having access to the Father. But he says, till we have our complete access in heaven with the Father, He has given us now a place of belonging. It's called the church. A place of belonging. Where we are no longer to be alienated from God and from each other. Look what he says in verse 19. So then, Because of the work of Christ, through His shed blood and drawing you near, you are no longer strangers and aliens. What were we once? We were stateless, Christless, hopeless, godless, all of those things. But now, no longer. So then, you are no longer. Your state of of existence is no longer to be a stranger and an alien. But you are fellow citizens. Where are we really seated? Where is our citizenship if we're really in Christ Jesus? Is our allegiance to the United States of America? Absolutely. God placed us in this country. But where's our true citizenship? In heaven, the Bible says. In heaven. We are truly citizens of heaven. And we need to have the heavenly mindset. Right? The whole purpose of the helmet of salvation is the certainty of heaven. Right? I'm going to go to heaven soon and very soon. We're going to see the king. That needs to drive my actions here now. How often we lose sight of the end game that God has to unite us all in Christ Jesus in heaven. And I get so worked up over what's happening right here that I act contrary to what God has saved me for. We are no longer strangers and aliens. And we can really honestly call Jesus my friend. What did Jesus say at the Last Supper? He says, I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. God is your friend. God is your friend. What an amazing thought that is. And God, who you were once, that hostility with, drew near to you to make peace with you. What a great God we serve. We are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You belong to God's church. You are called to be at peace. You are saved by the blood, saved for a purpose, saved to be united with each other. And what is the church built upon? Look what it says in verses 20 to 21. Built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. We're built upon the foundation of God's word, of God's word. But isn't it interesting that Paul says built upon the apostles and the prophets? Why did the apostles come first? Weren't the prophets there before the apostles? Well, if we pay attention to Scripture, we'll know that to the apostles was given the, was given the job of revealing the mystery of Christ, which was in the prophets. And so Paul, when he speaks to the church in Ephesus that God has a purpose in Christ Jesus to unite all things, he's reading Moses, he's reading Jeremiah, he's reading Isaiah, saying, this is what. Remember what Hebrews tells us, that these prophets longed to look for. They were looking for something. They were unable to attain it in their lifetime, but through the the apostles, you and I have been given the New Testament, which reveals to us the Old Testament. What an amazing God we have. The mystery that God in Christ Jesus was uniting all things to Himself. And that's why this cornerstone is so important. Those of you who are in construction should know that when you build a foundation, you have to build a square foundation. And that court back when they used to build, and now we have poured foundations, but that cornerstone, the first block laid, if it was not laid square and straight, the entire structure would go off. Oh, you mean to tell me that an eighth of an inch doesn't, really makes a big difference? Over, over 20 feet? You better believe it does. Over 10 feet? You better, is that correct, Dan? Right? Quarter of an inch, an eighth of an inch, a sixteenth. You think, oh, it's no big deal. There's a lesson in it. Oh, just a little bit of worldliness. No, <laughs> no. We've got to get rid of it. No, because in the end, at the end game, it matters, right? Remember what Hebrews tells us. Pay more careful attention lest you drift away. I tell you, if you want to go from New York to England, right? You're going to go to London, right? You set your course. What happens if you're off by half a degree? You're going to make it to London? No, you're not. You're going to be down and way off one way or the other. It matters. Christ Jesus, the cornerstone, who is straight and true. He is truth, set straight, built upon Jesus Christ. God in Christ Jesus is building you and I individually. Yes, we're individuals, but we're being built into one church. One church where God dwells by his spirit. And so that means, loved ones, that if you go on missions trips, and I would encourage you to, that when you go on a mission trip, Or you go anywhere in the world and you meet somebody else who is a believer, even if you cannot speak their language, you know what there is? There's an instant unity. When I I went to Mali, Africa so many years ago to help build a church, I, I couldn't communicate to save my life, right? But there was a unity. There was a bonding because of Jesus Christ. That's what united us. And we had joy and we had fellowship together. If you and I are the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, which God's Word says we are, He lives within us, He lives within our church. We have been brought near through the blood of Jesus Christ and we have peace with God. And therefore you and I are to strive, as Hebrews says, for peace with everyone and for holiness without which no one will see the Lord. May we, may you and I, as we live in this twisted and perverse generation, may we live to be peacemakers and live in peace as much as it depends on us and so that Christ is glorified in that and that we show the world by our peaceableness that we truly are the children of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that You came And you made peace. You didn't have to. But because of your great love for us, you chose to. You brought us near through the blood of Christ. You made peace. We have peace with God. Lord, may we have peace with each other. May we not let the culture, the influence of this world, the ideologies of this world influence us. And Lord, if we're at strife now with anybody, Within the body of Christ, we ask for your help to be reconciled, to be united, to be one in Christ. For the glory of Christ alone, we ask it. Amen.